Guardian Unlimited. Because of rampant racism, unfortunately, within our community. Some people have asked me, are you the first Jew to build a mosque? Loads of people will disagree with me, but I don't think there's any contradiction in being gay and being a Muslim. Hello, Assalamu Alaikum, and welcome to Islamophonic, your Muslim podcast from The Guardian. In this week's show, we have a minority report looking at racist Muslims, gay Muslims, and Britain's first purpose-built multi-faith prayer centre. In the studio, our brand new studio, I'd like to add, we have Rakeen Fatuga from Nasheed Group Mecca to Medina. We also have Ajmal Masroo, a roving imam who splits his time between four London mosques. Assalamu alaikum to you both. Wa alaikum assalam. Wa alaikum assalam. Now, last week, our studio guests, Farina Alam and Abdul Rahman Malik, discussed Muslim Britain's blind spots when it comes to supporting causes abroad. Well, we're pushing the envelope and exploring prejudice at home. David Dean spoke to a young lady, a Somali Muslim who experienced racist bullying at the hands of South Asian Muslims. We started a school where there was no other Somali students. There were like Asian, Bengali populated students over there. When we first started, they thought we were Asians and the first question they would ask you is like, uh, are you Bengali or Pakistani? Then uh, when they realized they kind of started being really rude and racist toward me. They would use the F word, you know, it's F word Somalian. They were Muslim students and the thing is, there were other Asian students who actually helped me. They kind of like bullied them as well and they didn't want anyone to be associated with me. I wasn't a white person or I wasn't Asian. So maybe that led to the racism. It was really hard to be honest with you. It's really hard. Because our religion teaches treat people nicely and in a good way. Where I came from, there wasn't bullying and things like that, so I wasn't expecting kids to be that way, especially from Muslim students, to be bullying and doing these things rather than offering help, offering that Muslim community for me. I've noticed there was more racism in between Pakistanis and Bengalis. Chinese and Bengalis, or it was blacks and Bengalis. So there was loads of communities having loads of racist issues. Sometimes racism can be more insidious. While I was researching this issue, I came across details of a marriage event aimed specifically at Muslims of African or Caribbean descent. I asked one of the organisers, Mizan Raja, to tell me more about the event and to share some of his forthright views. So you've been organising Muslim marriage events for some time now and recently you started catering for specific groups within Muslim society. Yeah, initially when we started off we advertised for all Muslims irrespective of status and race and over the years now we just categorise it according to the racial or the status of the individuals. Now why have you become so specific? Is it because of demand or are you just a bit more realistic about what people will and won't do? It's a bit of both. What we've seen, people of African and Caribbean community who have come along, they haven't been really selected. And a lot of the times it's been because of a lot of the Asian or Arab community prefers someone uh, who's not black. The problem is that we see a lot of Asian guys, they prefer someone who is obviously Asian or Arab or lighter skin, white. And that's preference, but it's also there's a bit of racism there. At the same time, if I look at it the other way, why do a lot of black or Caribbean brothers who become Muslims uh, expect uh, they're, they're easily going to go and have an Asian-born Muslim girl? 
you know, their fathers are easy going to give it away. It's not going to happen. You have to be realistic. Unfortunately, a lot of the fathers, you know, have uh, low expectations. It is a racial thing. It's also ignorance as well. But at the same time, there needs to be work done within the Caribbean Muslim community to deal with certain brothers who convert and they don't treat their wives in an appropriate manner. Obviously, we shouldn't judge everyone by the same token. There are some very good examples of interracial Muslim marriages. Why do you think these prejudices are here? It's a mixture of things. I mean, number one thing is ignorance. Ignorance of the self and ignorance of the religion. Number two, majority are from the Indo-Pak region, so they have their own baggage, their own tribalistic ways of looking at things, unfortunately. It's a colonial mentality we have. We've come to Britain, we brought our colonial mentality from our parents who have passed it on. The media doesn't really help, so it portrays black people as rapists or criminals and people from the South Asian community, they see that. They think, oh my God, how can you have a black Muslim professional? That's unheard of. So we need to get rid of that sort of thing, judge everyone by themselves. At the same time, we as a community, we have to take blame. Some of the attitudes amongst Muslim brothers, especially South Asian men, we have a very male chauvinistic attitude, whether they are practicing or not. I mean, I've got many years of experience and I've seen this. Some of the attitudes of the ones who've reverted to Islam, not all of them, some of them ones from the lower strata of society, be it black or white, you know, you can't take the ghetto out of a man, they say. So when they become Muslim, they have some ghettoized sort of characteristics, very rough, very undiplomatic, uh, and that's not really the Islamic way. And this still sort of perpetuates, you know, the problem. How does that make you feel? Well, I mean, it's not surprising. Theology and faith is one thing. One should aspire to the beliefs and the core values of the faith. But at the end of the day, if someone prefers someone from their own race, you can't really do anything about it. And at the same time, even during the Prophet's time, unfortunately, Bilal radiallahu, who was a prominent companion, even he faced prejudices when he was looking for a matrimonial spouse because he was an Abyssinian slave. So one has to realize, look, you know, this thing is not new. It's part of society, irrespective. It's not the faith that is to blame, it's the individuals. What does this prejudice mean for Muslim society as a whole in Britain? <coughs> what, inf- what effect does it have on us? We go to show the complexities of the Muslim community are quite vast. Not only have we got political problems at the moment, we've got some huge social malaise. And now the Muslim community, if it doesn't resolve its social malaise, a lot of the other problems we see will just get worse. We've got some rampant racism, unfortunately, within our community. But then again, all societies have, and every community has to rise above it. But I think the unique thing about the Muslim community, we have the capacity to change it, which I don't think any other faith, in my personal experience and belief, has that capability. And the living experience, the fact that, you know, nearly half of Africa is Muslim. The fastest growing religion, they say, around the world is Islam, etc., etc. So, you know, the capacity to change is there. I was going to say, what do we, as Muslim people living in Britain, stand to gain by putting our prejudices aside? We make a more healthy, social, cohesive community, a British Muslim identity. We also act, will act as role models, as positive ambassadors back to the Muslim world, where there's a lot of racial prejudices, especially in the Middle East. If we can get our acts together in the West and say, look, we can rise above our racial prejudices, we're interracial marriaging and so and so. I think we can, uh, we can really live up to the principles of Islam and the early days of Islam during the Prophet's era and his four companions. That was quite uncomfortable listening. 
Rakin, do you think Mizan has a point? Um, yes, he has got a point, actually. There is a lot of racism uh, in the Ummah, but I would say a lot of it is cultural. And it is more of a problem, I think, with the family than the actual young people. Because there are a lot of young people that would like to marry each other, but they worry about what's their family going to say. So you're saying that young people are too scared to make their choices when it comes to their life partner, for example. Yes. That and more individuals would like to marry out of their yes, particular racial group. Yes, yeah. And, and, it's, and it's not a simple thing as just like being scared. Families put a lot of pressure on the young people. When I'm not working as a I'm a full-time religious education teacher. And when you speak to a lot of the young girls, we talk about arranging marriage, a lot of them say they want to choose their own partners you know, and they're upset with being forced. This is happening a lot inside the Muslim community. And actually, to be honest, I've experienced more racism in the Islamic community than outside. How has this racism manifested itself? Well, as was said in the interview through um, not being able to marry, if you want to intermarry. But also, I think that when you look at other areas of Islam, for example, imams in mosques, you don't find a lot of people from the African continent that imams in mosques, unless it's their own mosques. There are a few. I think in every area in business. That's true. We don't see much black role models, whether it's in a mosque or whether it's in a professional establishment or even as performing artists, maybe. Absolutely. And even when you when you talk about Islamic history, Balaw was always mentioned, a slave okay, that became a Muslim, as if he was the only African Muslim there was. When we look at the history of Islam, we see the Prophet Muhammad, وسلم, the first place he sent the Muslims was Abyssinia, Ethiopia. Okay, So the African history in Islam is, is a long history. Another way where I've actually experienced racism, which has changed a lot now, because as a performer, we used to travel up and down the country. Sometimes you'd enter a mosque and they say, no, you can't come in here. They say, excuse me? They say, oh, because um, this, is, um, this is for Muslims. Say, huh? So they'd look at you and think, he's black, he can't he's, possibly be a Muslim. Yes, he's not a Muslim. They said, no, alhamdulillah, I'm a Muslim. And they go, oh, sorry, I didn't know you was a Muslim. But I didn't <laughs> know you was a Muslim. How long ago was this? No, this was like maybe six, seven years ago. Well, let's move on to Ajmal. Um, Rakina said and also Ms. said that it was cultural baggage and not Islamic. So how do we get rid of it? By educating people, especially Muslims, that it is an abhorrent practice. His prophet condemned it. Um, Outright, he said in his uh, final and most uh, important speech that no Arabs have any superiority over non-Arabs, black over white or white over black. He made it absolutely clear when a person came to the Prophet and said, Oh Prophet, how can I be an Arab? He said, anybody who speaks Arabic is an Arab. In other words, you can acquire an identity, a national identity is no longer by birth or your colour of your skin. So I think within Islamic teaching, there is sufficient ingrained knowledge that we could shed this uh, malice uh, that we see, unfortunately, blighting our community. I have faced it myself. A young man came to me and he said, one elderly gentleman's daughter I'm interested in getting married and he's not going to allow me to do so. Why not? Because I'm from Africa and he's from Bangladesh. So I went to see the old, uh, old man and I said to him, Uncle, why aren't you allowing this man to get married to your daughter? He's a very good boy. You, you seem like a nice man. He goes, because he's black. I said to him, Uncle, have you looked at the mirror? You're Bangladeshi. You know, oh, you're dark. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you're, you're not yeah. white. You're yeah. black. I mean, this is how stupid some of their shallow argument is. For God's sake, I've got an interracial marriage myself. I'm married to a Hungarian lady. That's mm. pretty radical. My I haven't heard that one before. My parents are Bangladeshi. I'm, you know, I've lived all my life in this country. We have a beautiful daughter. Prophet Sallallahu himself said, marry far apart. So the only way to do it is education and the other is by action. And the biggest action is interracial marriage. My mum wouldn't let me marry a black man. 
There you go. I've said my piece. Rakim, what does this mean for the Ummah, the idea that we're part of a community of believers when quite clearly we're not? Well, to be honest, it's quite worrying. When you talk to converts, people that convert to Islam, they're absolutely shocked and horrified by the racism that's going on inside the Ummah. Can I can I just interject for a second? Yeah, you can interject. I think what we need to do is qualify it. When you say inside the Ummah, a small minority of uh, narrow-minded, ignorant members of the Ummah. Mm. By far, majority of the Muslim community living in this country are not racist. However, but I bet you, however, if you push no, no, them, no, no, if you push yes, them, yes. if you push them, yes. I've had many conversations with people my age. It's unfair. Go, it's unfair to say everyone is racist because no. I don't think we have a stati- yes. statistics. What we can say is yes. there are some ignorant people. Yes. Quite a lot, though. Yeah. Well, what we need it's, to do quite is... quite a large proportion of them. We need are. to identify them and yes. say they're the ignorant ones mm. because there are a lot of good ones, too. Okay. Yeah, but there are loads c- of good ones. I mean, but for example, also- take my parents. Why would they allow me to marry Hungarian? If they were racist, they would say no. But mashallah... So there are but- many like me. There, there, there are many like you, but there's many that haven't got the strength. I'll give you another example. I know many sisters um, from Bangladesh, Pakistan, that they say to me, my parents will not let me marry a black man or a white man even as well. It's not yeah, just blacks, whites as well. But they say a way out is education. Yeah, yeah, of course. By the time I finish university, I'll be in a bigger position to speak to my parents. But you see, Rakim, don't forget, most of our parents, especially the ones from the Asian subcontinent, mm. come from a particular socioeconomic, very deprived background, very yes. poor background. Most yeah. of them were illiterate. Do you think it's a generational thing? But it's also to do with the background. While mm. the background changes, our generation will be more educated, mm. will be more affluent, will have seen the world and lived be in a cosmopolitan society. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I don't think yes. we'll have a problem with yes. our daughters, our yeah. children, our sons getting yeah. married to anybody as long as they're decent and Inshallah. good. Um, now, listen, I've been accused of being obsessed with Pakistanis to the detriment of other ethnic groups in this podcast. So mm. where does ethnocentrism stop and racism start? It's when you look at look down on other people as though you're mm. superior and they're inferior. And that's mm. it. That's the bottom line. That must not be there at mm. all. Okay. You can be proud of your culture. It's okay. I mean, if you're from Pakistan, wherever, Bangladesh, uh, Nigeria, because if the Prophet Sallallahu he was proud of his tribe. But as Ajmal said, you shouldn't look down on others and you should be able to work together with others. And this you know, is a problem. You know, the bottom line is... I'm working of... with you. Yeah, well, I'm working with you. This is great. You have come into my studio. You are part <laughs> of our podcast family. We have to move on. Go ahead, yes. We have to move on. Speaking of working together and coming together for a common purpose, the following item sounds like the start of a joke. A priest, a rabbi and an imam are on a building site and one of them says... Alex? Riazad, how are you? You are my second favourite Jewish man in the whole wide world. <laughs> Jonathan Friedland being your first, Of obviously. course, or Jackie Mason <laughs> at a push. I'm so predictable. <laughs> now listen, there's a very exciting development going on in Surrey of all places. Can you tell us what it is and how it came about? Around about four years ago, the two full-time chaplains at the University of Surrey, Jonathan Frost and John McCarthy, the Anglican and Catholic chaplain, decided that they wanted to build a centre where all people of faith on campus and those of none could come together. It sounds great. What kind of faiths will you have there? Uh, that includes the Catholics, uh, the Anglicans, the Methodists, uh, the Baptists, and we will have a Jewish common room come synagogue. We have a Muslim prayer space uh, or mosque, an area for the Indic religions, facilities for the Buddhist, Hindu and Sikh students, and a special area for the Sikh scriptures as well. This sounds very special. Alex, have you encountered any resistance to the idea of a mosque and a synagogue being together or a mosque and a temple being together? 
And no. I mean, the sad thing, Riazad, is that people are always astonished and surprised whenever I mention it. It's considered so abnormal. But on the whole, most people, and I, I haven't had any resistance, most people welcome the idea that Jews and Muslims and Christians are trying to live together and respect each other under one roof. I have to say that some people have asked me, are you the first Jew to build a mosque in Britain? And I'm saying, no, I'm not. The first mosque built by a Jew in Britain is the oldest mosque in Britain. It's four miles down the road from the current site of the multi-faith centre, which is Woking Mosque, built by quite apparently an eccentric Hungarian Jewish professor who had spent 20 years in India and for whatever reason uh, decided to build Woking Mosque. Muslim so pays Jewish money, can't go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, now listen, no on. <laughs> if we're talking about dividing up territories, who gets the bigger space? Uh, well, that's, that's not that, all that important, but... Uh, the, the, the largest room is, is the mosque. Yay! Hey, result! <laughs> now, as an active member of the Jewish community, what's your personal motivation for being involved with this project? All our religions, certainly Abrahamic religions and all world religions I know, preach the idea of understanding and respecting your neighbour. I think that ideal uh, needs to be renewed from time to time, and this project should renew it. I mean, the University of Surrey is very multi-ethnic and religious, and therefore people from all over the world will be coming to the university and engaging with each other. You'll, and that's, be, an that's... you'll be an interfaith beacon. We're hoping to be an interfaith beacon, yes. And finally, what do we call it? Do we call it a cinemosque or a mosagogue or a church of temple mosque? I like all those names. Um, uh, it, might, it might be more exciting than the multi-faith centre. Um, uh, but I, 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 we have also tried to be inclusive throughout, so you're going to have to get a Gujwara name into that as well, and, and also probably word temple, but I think it could be a good competition for Guardian listeners, stroke readers. Uh, You've just hit on something there, Alex. You're a genius. <laughs> OK. Alex, thank you very much for taking time out from your holiday to talk to us. Enjoy New York. Speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. Alex Goldberg from the Board of Deputies. Still with me in the studio are Rakeen Fatuga from Nasheed Group Mecca to Medina and roving Imam Ajmal Masroor. Ajmal, would you feel comfortable leading Friday prayers under the same roof as a Hindu temple? Why not? I don't see a reason why we should make a big deal out of it. I think it's a good thing because <clears throat> at the end of the day, we live in a very multicultural, multi-faith country in which all societies and all faiths have uh, an equal stake. And uh, as uh, equal citizens, we should have access to and shared space. Uh, remember, it's only one world we have. We better share it. By the way, we have been praying in churches for years. For example, in those days when there were no purpose-built mosques in many areas, churches opened their doors saying you can actually hire a hall and pray your Friday prayers. Rakeen, this is happening on a university campus where people are kind of educated, academic, slightly more liberal maybe in their outlook. Do you think it would work somewhere like Bradford or Birmingham? It, it would be a little bit harder. I think Birmingham, yes. In Bradford, maybe a bit, a bit harder in Bradford because a lot of people are stuck in their ways. You may start riots in Bradford. Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> no more riots in Bradford, please. <laughs> Now, as promised, we're looking at homosexuality and Islam. Same-sex intercourse is illegal in most Muslim countries and carries the death penalty in several. But is homosexuality forbidden? Before we put that question to our studio imam, let's hear from Marcin Naina, who talked to David Deans about coming out and being Muslim. I came out to a lot of my friends when I was at college. 
were all really accepting. However, when it came to family, I think they're still kind of in denial. Whenever they relate to issue, they just don't want to talk about it. It seems to be more an issue of them being scared of what will the rest of society think. If I do get the chance to play five times a day, I do. I see myself quite religious. I try to follow the Islamic teachings as far as I can do. But loads of people will disagree with me, but I don't think there's any contradiction in being gay and being a Muslim. Because at the end of the day, when I read the Quran, there's nothing that specifically refers to homosexuality at all. The only thing that comes close is the story of Prophet Lut. And in the scriptures, the specific word they use is Fahisha, which just refers to any moral act, not necessarily homosexuality, but some people just associate that with homosexuality. So as far as I'm concerned, there's no contradiction whatsoever. For example, when I was at university, I came out with one of my very religious friends who's always wearing a hijab. And when some other Muslims went up to her and questioned her, why is she being friends with the homosexual? She said, according to her interpretation of the teachings, she does consider homosexuality a sin but she also considers it a sin not to cover her hair. That doesn't mean every time she goes out she's going to discriminate against any other woman just because she doesn't wear the hijab. I also think you can actually consider homosexuality to be a sin, but that doesn't mean you have to go around discriminating against everyone. Any religion is based on tolerance and love. I have had loads of support from loads of my friends. However, the stuff that sticks in my mind is where I haven't had any support. I remember being on this anti-war demonstration in Manchester when a group of youths did come and approach me because I was wearing a t-shirt that said Queers for Palestine on the back. And they just seemed to consider homosexuality to be a much greater sin than murder, for example. Being a Muslim, the Ummah is very, very important to you. So every time I come across a Muslim, who has the attitude, it does really shock me. Ajmal, is homosexuality forbidden in Islam? Any sex outside marriage is forbidden in Islam. You have only one way of having sexual intercourse. And that's within a marriage? Within a marriage. And, and marri you have to be married to the person you're having sex with? Yes, but in okay. Islam, marriage is only defined as between man and woman. Right. So therefore, I'm afraid there is no room for any other means kind of, of sex. sexual intercourse except between men and women. That's one, and that's the principle of Islam. Second thing, uh, this gentleman talking about the verse of the Quran, uh, let me put it to him, he's rather misconstruing the verse itself. If you go by the text of the Quran, you should know the whole text. The verse itself is a whole story about Sodom and Gomorrah. In the Quran, God is clearly talking about homosexuality, and he says... Lut says, and I worry, why do you prefer men over women? In fact, he says, why do you not leave my guests alone? And you can even have my daughters if you wish. So if you, so it's the, better to have sex with young girls no, 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 than no. men? No, no, no. Okay. They're marriageable, okay. ma marriageable girls. Right, okay. What he's saying here, according to the story, mm. God says, anybody who indulges in homosexual act are surely a big transgressor. He's also acknowledged in his own statement that homosexuality is a sin, just like other sins. Drinking is a sin. Gambling is a sin. Is homosexuality more of a sin or, or less of a sin than it's drinking up, alcohol? It's up to God. I don't know. Okay. But the, the, the answer is it's a sin. So in Islam, as a Muslim, we are not allowed to knowingly continue sinning. If you persist on sinning and saying, hang on a second, God got it wrong, Quran is wrong, I know it's a sin, I don't give a monkeys, I'm going to carry on, then there is a problem. 
that does not take you out of Islam. You still remain a Muslim, but you are a sinful Muslim. I see. In Islam, so this Muslim guy has misinterpreted this particular passage. You're saying that he's looked at it in isolation and hasn't looked at the whole story. I looked at the whole story and doesn't understand the principle of marriage and sex in Islam. So he says that he prays five times a day when he can. But if you're gay and you pray, does that mean your prayers aren't valid? Or again, no, 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 does no. it? You can't it say that. Al- okay. You can't say that because while I do good. Just because I've done one bad, I should not nullify all my good. I should continue doing good. If I also stop praying, then I'm sinning twice. Okay. So your advice to this guy would be continue attempting to pray five times a day. Do all the good deeds, good deeds that you're doing. But just don't do the bad stuff. Which is, in Islam, very clear, you cannot have sex outside marriage. I'm sorry, whether you are, uh, uh, you know, of any person. Rakeen, I'm going to bring you in here. Why are there such strong feelings about homosexuality within Muslim communities? He said the C word, culture. Well, no, um, Sodom and Gomorrah is clear in the Quran and it says that, you know, homosexuality is, is a sin. But I think what's also interesting, okay, is that um, in Islam, they say like homosexuals should be killed. But when you look at the interpretation of it, yeah, it says that if someone is practicing homosexuality like outside and there's four witnesses, the people that are involved in homosexual activities should be punished. Okay. But in society, you will never, hardly ever have four witnesses. Unless okay. there's an orgy. Exactly, unless there's an orgy. Yeah. By any society standard, yes. orgy is completely destructive to the social uh, fabric of a, Absolutely. Of a nation. Absolutely. So, I but mean, we can't, of course, uh, say uh, orgy is good. Of course it's not. It's <laughs> not good. It's not I good. Think what it's not good. Let me finish this point. Let me, finish, okay. no, let me just finish this point. So, if you're homosexual, if you have these desires, then you should keep them behind closed doors. Okay. Yourself. But it's not only homosexuality, though, Rakim. Yes. Sexuality, full stop, is a private matter. Yes, what I absolutely. do with my absolutely. wife yes. behind the closed doors yes. is none of no one else's business. Yes, absolutely. Why should others know? Yeah. There is a saying of the Prophet where yes. the Prophet says, Do you not find that so vile that you would sleep with your wife the mm. night before and yet you would come and brag about what you did last night? Yes. There are people among our crowds, amongst my companions who do that. So you're saying that sexuality is a private matter, people yes. shouldn't talk about it. Mm. I don't think this guy was referring to that. I think his point was that the fact that he is gay mm. seems to offend a lot of Muslims. But yeah. I mean, he's story. not having sex in the streets. But that's another story. Or, if, if... you know, cruising down the Curry Mile looking for mm. boys. He's not doing that. What he's wanting to do is a simple one, and that is he wants to engage with the Muslim world mm. and say to the Muslim world, theologically, you must accept homosexuality is valid. I don't now, think he's trying to do that. I think he just doesn't want to get beaten up. Well, that's wrong. <laughs> you know, you see, this is the point he made, and I agree with him. Nobody should have the right to discriminate anybody Full stop. This is Islamic. That discrimination is not allowed. Physical violence on anybody, of course, is not allowed. Those are criminal activities that should be condemned. What I'm saying is something separate. I'm saying while he as a human being must have his rights, what we don't want to see, and this is something theological, if the whole world was to vote tomorrow saying we will endorse homosexuality, I'm afraid Quran will be unwilling to change mm. its view. Yes, it's not yes. allowed, full stop. Sorry about that. You don't like it mm. for Islam, this is Islam. You don't yeah. have to come to it. Mm. But what about if you are gay and you're Muslim? In Islam, they believe that the homosexuality is a, is a desire. It's a desire. It's a desire that can be cured. It, it can be cured. Or, it's, it's or, it, doesn't mean, or it doesn't mean you need to act on it. Okay. For example, like okay, um, you could be a male who's married... You, you'll find a lot of women attractive. It doesn't mean you need to act. But what about his point about culture, though? He thinks it's a cultural thing. No, it's not. This is, this is, this is, Islam. This is Sharia. This is Islamic law. It's there. Homosexuality is wrong. And what's quite interesting, I add, that um, where in other religions, like Christianity or whatever, as Adam was saying, like, sometimes you, you will go on with what society 
once. So as society is becoming more, you know, open to it, then Christianity will adopt. And they want Islam to become like that, but it can't. We've got so Islam can't evolve? It, or it, shouldn't evolve? Or doesn't no, evolve? No, cert- certain principles... That's it, full stop. Certain principles of Islam yes. are absolute. Yes. Okay. Those principles are unevolving. Mm. However, how you implement other aspects of Islam in the context and the time, they're definitely time and context bound. Yes. Rakeen, let me just put this You're to you. saying that gay men and lesbian women should keep their sexualities private. In fact, all people should keep their sexual lives yes. private. Yes. Do you also agree that Muslims should keep their homophobia a private matter and not always come out and say gay should be hung, drawn and quartered for being yes, gay? Yes, yeah. Do you yeah. think that would help? Yes, that would help, yeah. But don't, but don't, at the same time, we can't say, uh, let's take that out of the Quran. Or take no, it out I'm of just saying, just not go on about it, Absolutely, basically. yes. Two-pronged approach here. If we can do, adopt these two principles, mm. tell the gay communities, you can cry until, car, cry, uh, until cars come home. Islam is not going to change. Mm. Accept that. That's a reality. And tell the Muslim community, stop saying those vile things. I think we will have a better so approach. everyone just needs to shut up. No, calm and down. And on that note... Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> calm down. Calm down and don't say anything. Um, we will be putting some LGBTQ links on our site, www.guardian.co.uk forward slash Islamophonic. I would like to thank my studio guests, Arjmal Masru and Rakeen Fatuga. Next week, we're pushing the vote out with an American special. I'm going to the Islamic Society of North America's 44th annual convention in Chicago. Try saying that with miswak in your mouth. It is also going to be the last weekly Islamophonic, but again, more of that next week. I'll tell you more about what's happening to the future of this podcast. For now, you have been listening to Islamophonic. It was produced by Matt Hayward and presented by me, Riyazat Bhatt. Jazakallah for listening and wa alaikum as-salam.